in Maine? Yeah. I can't say I can't say I I've never seen a cougar in Maine. Have you seen ever seen a cougar period? for July 2018. This is actually a special extra bonus edition. But first, let me tell you that you can watch this at youtube.com slash working class woodsman or the you can listen to the audio version at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Podbean, or your favorite podcast app. Just search for The Woodsman's Podcast. Whatever your platform, please subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a positive review. This is generally a monthly podcast, or it's what we're aiming to do, but last week for our July edition, we were talking about the Maine Sportsman's Opinion Poll, and we only got halfway through it, so we wanted to have a bonus edition to finish that poll, which is in um, Maine called the Maine, uh, it's in a magazine called the Maine Sportsman. First of all, though, my name is Max Ledoux, and I am not a woodsman. The woodsman is Ed Butler. You probably know him as the Working Class Woodsman on YouTube and Instagram, and he's also on Patreon. We will talk about that more later. On Twitter, they can't handle long usernames, so follow him at WCWoodsman603. This is a podcast about hunting, harvesting, foraging, and fishing from the perspective of a New England woodsman, Ed, uh, and we are in New Hampshire, so that's the particular focus. Um, but also today we're talking about uh, Maine, Maine uh, hunting and Maine laws. And it's, a, it's an opinion poll. And we already did the first 25 or so questions in the previous episode. So go check that out if you didn't watch or, uh, or listen to it. So, Ed, uh, welcome back. Good to be good to be back. And let's start uh, right off. We, we left off last time with bear hunting, which is pretty controversial and uh emotional uh according to the opinion poll yeah so, apparently yeah yeah um but let's get back into it so we're at uh question number 30 should landlocked salmon be managed to promote larger fish uh, yes uh in the long run that would be better for the species um and as a matter of fact there are a few lakes that i know of in maine that they're actually encouraging anglers to keep their keep the fish that they catch if they're a certain size because there are there there is actually in some places there are too many small fish and they want that they want ideally they want bigger fish so the idea here is if you if you keep the fish that you catch and remove them yeah and the ones that remain will be able to grow larger well I, yeah i it, it's in a nutshell yeah because if there's only so much food to grow now Bear in mind, of course, salmon have their other problems with the northern pike and the um, the inability to reproduce and all that stuff. If you have fewer fish, there's more for that fish to eat. So in theory, gotcha. um, like in Winnipesaukee, we have more smelt in the lake than we've had in God knows how. Mm -hmm. No one really knows why that population keeps going up and down. There's all kinds of theories. But at the end of the day, there are more smelt in that lake now than, than, than there ever were. And the salmon are bigger, fatter, and healthier. Right. Um, but if they were, okay, let's say there were 50,000 salmon in Lake Winnipesaukee, what if there were 100,000 salmon? Would the fish be that big? So, right, right. No, we, I mean, in theory, I, I would say yes to that. Um, but there are a lot more factors that go into why fish get big and food source and all that stuff. Should the Department of, what is this acronym? I got it wrong several times last time. It's D I F N W. Department of uh inner fisheries and wildlife i think it's actually on my hat but oh yeah <laughs> let me just read your hat yeah. <laughs> department of inland fisheries and wildlife okay so i'm i'm wearing this hat you can see if you're watching on youtube but uh if you're listening uh this is a hat that my friend kate braystrip gave me i mentioned in the previous episode she is the um minister to the wardens in maine um and so Anyway, that's why I have this hat. And so the question was number 31. Should DIF&W, I'm just going to say fish and wildlife. That's fine. Should fish and wildlife regulate winter feeding of deer? Uh, yes. And no, you shouldn't feed deer. You should not feed deer. You should deer. not feed deer. You really shouldn't feed Any anything. Animal. Right? No. 
Yeah. What are the consequences of feeding huge, deer? Huge. Uh, well, for one, in, and this is a very, very sore, emotional subject with a lot of people. But first of all, if you feed, feed wildlife, you train them not to live in their natural environment. You can right. train general um, generations of uh, deer not to find the natural food source. You also bring in, you know, because, you know, white, white-tailed white deer are just like any other um, animal. They're, you know, let's say they're lazy by nature. If they've got a food right. source, they're not going to leave that food source. I would say that pretty much, I mean, there's, I was going to say everybody's lazy yes. to a certain degree yes. because you do what's easiest. It's human. It's just, it's, it's. Now that, it's, that being said, there are industrious species yeah. um we're, and we're ambitious when we have to be yeah yeah uh but but so the problem with feeding deer is when you bring in a, a, a big concentration of deer and many states have have have, uh, have made feeding deer illegal but when you bring in big populations you also bring in the disease like chronic waste disease um which is a big problem um and uh, C, which is also known as CWD, mm-hmm. and I don't really want to get into that because it's a little too complex to talk about. But that's a big problem with whitetail population. You also bring in predators, so it, it, you're not in the long run. I know people think, well, you know, the poor deer is standing there in the in the middle of the field, starving to death. Well, the deer is living its life, right? And that deer has to know how to go find food, and that's just the way nature is. So by feeding the deer. In the long run, you're 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 basically, and I'm people are not going to agree with this, but you're destroying the species, right? Because you're, you're, you're actually harming. In in other words, you got a, a a woman in particular who who will feed deer every day, and she's done it for twenty years, let's say, and all of a sudden she perishes, or she moves, or she gets, you know, she she's not no longer there, and and no one's feeding those deer. What happens to that? herd of deer that's been relying on that food source for the last 20 years yeah and that's several generations of deer right that have learned Uh, several this is where the food is yep so think about it that way and and again people are going to disagree with this but uh you should not feed deer Mm -hmm. you shouldn't feed deer yeah you know um this makes me think of my father who lives in maine where where i grew up same piece of land and that the neighbors now run like a very small farm and they raise turkeys one of the things that they do and the domestic turkeys are in the back field and they you know they move the fence around throughout the season but occasionally the turkeys get over the fence and but they don't go anywhere and the the wild turkeys will walk through the the field and pass the domestic turkeys and you know, they don't, the domestic turkeys don't go off with the wild turkeys. They stay because they know where their they food is. They know they is. have to eat. Yeah. 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 And that's that's a good example. And then of, they of get a, killed at the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good example of a, a species that, ha, you know, went from being wild to domesticated. And that's yeah. what happens through generations. You teach them not to yeah. not to fend for themselves or not, right. to, to, not to be able to find food. Yeah. So yeah. you shouldn't feed deer. And, and again, I, don't take my word for it. On the other hand, maybe I should feed the squirrels and then they'll all die, right? <laughs> yeah, good, yeah, well, that's, that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Number 32, should non-residents, I guess of the state, uh, be permitted to hunt deer on opening day of the firearms season? Um, I think what they... Uh, it's a couple... I mean, I'm kind of on the fence with that. Um, I'm all for a state kind of giving locals or natives or for the lack of a better term uh, uh, you know a, a little bit more opportunity because let's face it this day and age a lot of hunters um you know and and me don't forget you can't hunt on Sundays so if you're a work, oh, yeah. if you're a working man let's say you work at a at a factory or you work at a garage or whatever and you have to work half a day Saturday and you're a deer hunter if you don't have a vacation what when are you going to hunt you can't hunt Sunday Right. So if you're, if let's say I'm a, I'm a mechanic or whatever, I, I work at a muffler shop, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and opening day of deer season's on a Wednesday or a Thursday or whatever, or a Saturday even. Um, if you could get that one particular day off or whatever and have the advantage of, of I think that I, I, I'm not opposed to that. I, I don't think any state should. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't, um, I don't see anything wrong with a state holding one or two days for locals. 
you know, for residents. Yeah, the way this is is uh, is quite, is phrased, the opening day of firearm season. It seems to me there should just be a residence day. Is you know, is that seems fine to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have a problem. Yeah, you know, I mean, presumably other people live in other states where they can. Yeah, but you don't think state. about it. If you're if you're coming from another state to hunt, um, chances are you're probably coming for a week or at least a long weekend. Mm-hmm. So, and that's going to be whenever you know, any time of the season. So it, it's not going to. You can just plan accordingly and come the yeah, next exactly. day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, Mainers should have a day to themselves. Yeah. Um, my opinion, but number thirty-three, were you checked by a game warden this past year? And again, this would be in, in New Hampshire in your case, but uh, I was checked in both cases. I was checked oh, really? in New Hampshire and Maine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm flattered, actually. So what, what were you doing in both of those? Fishing. Fishing in Fishing, both of those. Yes, yeah. yeah. And in both cases, uh, it was kind of comical. In both cases, it was fun. I mean, I had a good conversation. Yeah. No, no. Actually, you got checked once when I was with you out on the ice on Lake Winnipesaukee. The game warden flew in on, well, not flew, but zoomed in on his uh, snowmobile. Snowmobile. Snow oh, that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yep. I think you pulled out your wallet even before he didn't even ask for it. You just, oh, you see those guys coming a mile away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, it's just like, you know why he's there, get it over but, with, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, actually, there was some, I won't say this person's name, but there was somebody who was out there with us who was in his truck when the game warden <laughs> pulled in. And he had a he had an open beer can and the he was drinking. You remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. Not um, saying who that was. <laughs> no, no, I'd rather not. But yeah, he was. Uh, he was a good. He was drinking responsibly. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Edit. <laughs> uh, Thirty-four. Should an outside agency investigate complaints against Maine game wardens? Well, yeah, I mean, you, you have to have... Why not? Why not? Why not? You have to have an objective outside... Non-biased. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the point. Even if... That's the, important, that's the point of an investigation. Of an investigation, it has to be impartial. You can't have, you know, Joey down the hallway investigating, you know, Jimmy, who he's worked with for 13 years. I, no, yeah, I mean, I, I think, and also, I, I absolutely think that shouldn't be an issue. And that's that, that's it's it's better for the public to have confidence that it's impartial, and it's better for the the game warden themselves to to know that you know that yeah. they're being investigated by somebody who's you know going to play it straight. Yeah, that's what you want all around. Sure. Number thirty six. Should the owners of land and conservation easements be required to post online maps showing the land and the location of the public's right of access? Yeah, yes. I think so. So that's, but that's the owners. Should the owners have to well, do that so the or owners, should this so, be? So they're putting the onus on them. To yeah. I, I, I guess. Um, I, it should be public information, and maybe maybe the town should, or maybe whoever's, uh, maybe the um, town hall should put. That should, it's public information. Yeah, if it's if it's public information, I do think it should be absolutely posted online. But I think that the municipality should do it. I, I agree. Actually, that's that would be my. I don't think it should be put on the landowners if they're paying taxes on on the land, yeah. and their tax money goes to pay those salaries, so they should do the work. I think. So I actually skipped 35, which is, do you believe that many hunters in Maine tag deer they didn't shoot? I don't understand the question. (laughs) You want me to read it again? Yes, please. 35, do you believe that many hunters in Maine tag deer they didn't shoot? Many as... Are you pleading the fifth on this one? uh, I I don't have enough information to uh, answer that correctly. Do Do I feel many? Yeah. I I don't have anything to base that on. I yeah. have no I have no personal inf- I have no So what would be just be a, what would be the example of say somebody did tag a deer that they didn't shoot? What is that? Theory? Mean? What does that mean? Okay. Uh let's say um that um uh a husband and a wife um both have hunting licenses. Um in other words, they've both completed the hunter safety course mm-hmm. and they both have a hunting license, they both have a deer tag. Let's say they both go hunting, and the husband. This is just theoretical. Or say the wife, because she's a better shot than her husband. 
Right. I'm going to turn the tables here. Yeah. Shoots the deer right. and uses her husband's tag to tag it. And then she she goes out and shoots another one. That That's an example of how that would be an abuse of deer, uh, illegally using a tag. Yeah. In other words, when you when you shoot a deer or a bear or any any um, managed animal, any any animal that's you know managed by uh, the state, you immediately upon the kill cut the tag from your license, apply and put it on the animal because uh-huh. that's your animal that you've harvested and that's the law. So let's just say that if 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 her if she shot the deer but put her husband's tag on it, right? She still has a license. She still has a tag for another deer. So that's how that would get abused. So how often that happens, I don't know. I mean, in that particular situation, I think if the husband and wife are out hunting together and they live in the same household and they're both eating the, the two deer or whatever, it just it kind of seems like it's semantics to a certain extent. Well, it's illegal. But if it's a situation where, say, I get a license, but I sell it to you so that you can shoot two deer like that's that's just uh, that's probably very a rare very rare case mm-hmm. i don't think for instance oh i see what you're saying you're saying yeah. could in theory um if somebody shot a let's say someone tagged out and got a small uh, four point buck but really wanted a 200 pound you know majestic right deer, and you had a tag but you weren't going hunting and you said, well, so, you know, you can use my tag for a hundred bucks. So you can still hunt the rest. So you of can the still years. shoot the, the big one. That's a theoretic. It, I mean, yeah. that I, I don't, I can't, I, in all honesty. I don't see how you would, I mean, I guess that's what the game wardens investigate. Yeah. Any, and what, what, basically any time that you, that you dispatch an animal and, and tag it with someone else's tag, you're breaking the law and there's no, there's no way around that. Yeah. So, uh, but there's no way for you to know or, or to I've believe a, that yeah. any everything I just said was all theory. I'm sure I bet it happens. Actually, I remember up in um, what's that valley up north of Katahdin? There was a bust a few years ago of something to do with people breaking hunting laws. <laughs> a bust? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, it happens in New Hampshire too. Yeah. Um, happens everywhere. Uh, I don't remember that, to be honest with you. Next question, 37. Please. Do you believe that the Maine legislature does a good job of, of enacting laws relating to fishing, fish and wildlife matters? Um, do I think they do a good job enacting laws? Uh, I guess if a law comes into, uh, I, there's a couple ways you could answer that. Do they pass laws that have merit? In most cases, probably. Specifically about hunting. um, Well, I guess they can only pass a law that's, uh, um, you know, in front of them, right? There has to be, a law has to, you know, in other words, uh, a bill has to come in. How did you I don't know enough technically how that system works. Maybe you could shed some light on that. Well, I know a little bit about uh, New Hampshire, the process in New Hampshire. It's it's slightly different from Maine because New Hampshire has 400 members of the state uh, House of Representatives, which is a lot more than than Maine. Uh, but what happens in in New Hampshire is that if you want to put make something into a law, you have to introduce a bill first. Yeah. So, and there are different laws, or yeah, I guess laws about how to, or or it's not laws; it's it's rules, internal rules about how to 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 do that. And for instance, on the federal level, laws bills that are going to if they become law that will um, raise taxes have to originate in the house they can't start in the senate so things like that i'm not you know particularly sure about either new hampshire or maine to be honest but in other words like regulations about hunting have to come from the house or the the senate i don't know if you know about that but a a particular lawmaker if they have an idea for a bill would have to draft a bill Mm -hmm. And then they have to find other members. If they're in a representative in the House, they have to find other representatives who will co-sponsor the bill. Um, in other words, say, yeah, I'll, I'll vote for that when it comes to a vote. And so if the bill doesn't have any co-sponsors, then people aren't really going to vote for it because it doesn't have support. Um, and uh, 
and and that's why it's hard in New Hampshire actually to to get things passed because there are four hundred members. So in other words, like say I start the Gray Squirrel Federation, right. New Hampshire Gray Squirrel Federation, and I have you know five hundred members, mm-hmm. and we we want to extend the season into from where instead of ending December thirty first, we want to carry it through till March, right? The end of March. If I get five hundred signatures and bring it to the house. And and say, look, we want to change the law. We want to have the law changed and 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 stretch out the, the gray squirrel mm-hmm. season. Um, and then that that would become a bill, and that would be well. You would have to. So if you were collecting signatures of people like hunters, I got five hundred signatures. Yeah, say. but like hunters of hunters. Yeah. yeah, people who want to actively go hunt gray squirrels. You would have to find a legislator, you know, a lawmaker who is willing would be willing to introduce a bill on your behalf. So you could go to, you know, our, well, actually you live in a different uh, district than me, mm-hmm. but you would go talk to your, your lawmaker and say, Hey, I would like to introduce, I would like you to introduce this bill mm-hmm. now. So your lawmaker would have to agree with you and first they might be, yeah, first off, they might be swayed by the 500 signatures, but they might not be, Okay, you know, so, um, and and then that lawmaker would have to introduce the bill uh, to the legislature and get co-sponsors in the legislature, and then it has to go through committee, where actually the committee, and there's you know there's a committee on um, on you know fish and it's the fish and game commission, um, right, or committee, and um, and then they can change the bill. Even so, the original person who uh, lawmaker who introduces the bill, sometimes their bill gets totally changed. So the original person introducing the bill might end up voting against it because it doesn't bear any. Because it's because it's not what they put forth. Right. Gotcha. So because and I actually talked to a, a guy that I know from Brookfield, um, who's in the in the House of Representatives, and one of the bills that he had introduced last year got significantly changed, and he um, he ended up. I think he did um, vote for it, but it was quite a bit different, um, quite a bit watered down from what he had wanted. So, so in a sense, a voter could vote against their own bill if it didn't go. In other yeah, words, if a I lawmaker, vote, a lawmaker, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry, yeah, a yeah. lawmaker could vote against their own because yeah. it's not what they put forth in the first yeah. place. That's where you get things like, I mean, I don't know if and if you remember this from 2004 where John Kerry said that he supported the bill before he opposed it or maybe the other way around <laughs> yeah. and it sounds ridiculous and you're like give me a break you, you know but, it does. It can happen. but yeah. you know I mean <laughs> it could actually happen where you at one point you supported it and then later you didn't but the reason that you didn't is that it's not the same bill right so because it got it, manipulated it gets changed yeah I actually, I wanted to read, there was an article from two days ago now, July 19th, 2018, in the New Hampshire Union Leader, uh, titled, Hunting and Trapping Rules Gain Approval. Let me just read the first No, this is pertaining to New Hampshire. This is New Hampshire. Concord. New regulations on hunting and trapping were approved by lawmakers on Thursday to the delight of hunters and trappers and the chagrin of animal rights groups that had pushed for changes. So that's that's good for people like us who uh, we're not going to gloat. Yeah, <laughs> both sides orchestrated a large turnout that filled two meeting rooms and spilled into the hallway of the legislative office building as the Joint Legislative Committee on Administrative Rules convened for a second time to consider changes to existing rules approved by the eleven-member Fish and Game Commission. The committee took no testimony and unanimously approved the new rules on a voice vote. So that means there was, yeah, just overwhelming support because if it, if you say, you know, everybody who's, who wants to pass it, say aye, and everybody who doesn't say nay, and if you can't really tell, like, the, how many people, then you have to do a, a, a like, a, a recorded vote. Yeah. yeah. But if it's a voice vote, it's, like, clearly everybody said yes, and, like, one person said no. Um Uh, passed on a voice vote, representatives and senators on the committee objected to the rules a month ago on the basis that the Fish and Game Commission did not adequately take into consideration public comment, much of it against the proposal. So I guess the proposal was was what the anti-hunters wanted. Um, So anyway, we'll put a link to this. Oh, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Oh, a coalition of animal rights groups, yeah. including the Humane Society of New Hampshire, who we talked about last podcast. Well, actually, we talked about the national. National, correct. Yeah. Um, including the Humane Society of New Hampshire, tried to take advantage of the biennial rules change to constrain the hunting and trapping of foxes and coyotes and block an effort to expand the live trapping of snowshoe hare used to train hunting dogs. They failed on all three counts and are now expected to take their fight to the full legislature. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a large uh, there's there it's a, there's a huge hurdle to get things changed. Yeah, and that's both good and bad. You yeah, know. yeah, it is, um, and it takes forever, unfortunately. Um, but in, in any case, so that's a good example yeah. of what we were talking about. Okay, so. That was, uh, does, does Maine do a good job of, of new laws? But number 38, should a system of tagging turkeys by telephone or online replace tagging stations? No. No. You think you should actually bring in the yeah, physical I, I bird? It, yeah. 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 And that just rules out. Um, I know, you know, if it's, people say, well, I got to drive, you know, 45 minutes to a tagging station. Well, well. That's you're yeah. lucky you live in an area that you have that much peace and quiet. <laughs> right. Of that. Yeah. Uh, but no, you, you no. I think that the animal needs to, or the bird in this case, needs to be taken to the tag station and weighed and documented. But it just, it just clears. You know, it, it removes missing any chance of any misinformation. I guess I should say. Thirty-nine. Should the price of a main hunting license include the right to hunt all game animals? except moose, without additional fees? Uh, well, in Maine, there are a little, there are quite a bit. Uh, well, first off, it's uh, a lot more economical to hunt in the state of Maine based on license pricing. I'll give you an example. I When I buy my license, I, I just, I'm what they call a straight liner. I just go down and I buy everything available. Okay. And I think my license. Keep all your options open. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, including, you know, oyster and clam license, which are $30 a piece. I think last year my license cost me $320. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> how much food? I paid get? for that in oysters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, you, if you're paying three bucks on the half shell at a restaurant. But anyway. Um, so, it, but like, for instance, when I bought my main license, um, you know, you, you like in New Hampshire, you have to have muzzleloader tag. When I say tag, um, you can buy a hunting. If you buy a, there's, there's, you can buy a small game license, which lets you allow you to hunt small game, and you can buy a hunting license, which allows you to, you know, a deer, which comes with a deer tag. But if you want to hunt white-tailed deer with a muzzleloader, you have to buy a muzzleloader tag. If you want to hunt deer with a bow and arrow, you have to buy an archery tag. If you want to uh, get a special deer tag, you pay for the special deer. Um, and I don't want to get too much into those logistics, but it adds up. Um, so, you know, but, but also too, that money is going to fish and game to support the programs and, you know, it's expensive, but I don't, they right, you know, in all honesty, those departments need all the money they can get. So, uh, but I'm not opposed to, I mean, it seems to me though, if, if you can do it all a cart, meaning, you know, not everybody wants to do to sh get oysters. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, so, very few, very few people rake. Thank you know, fortunately, a lot, not a lot of people are down there raking oysters these days. Yeah, for, for, you know, because you know, our you know, New Hampshire. I think our our strip of ocean is what a hundred feet. <laughs> yeah, about ninety six. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, and oh, and by the way, in New Hampshire, you have to be a resident to do clams and oysters. You can't get a non-resident clamming license. Yeah, well, yeah. that makes sense because it's ninety six. <laughs> feet of yeah, <laughs> footage right but uh but anyway um so back to the question um i i i i, I can't break it down exactly what maine does but it's 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 a quite a bit less expensive a lot less money out of your pocket to hunt in maine and you get a lot more for your money even like the guiding licenses um mm -hmm. and stuff like that are, are much much more affordable and the benefits from those licenses do you a lot more for your money do you think that part of that is that maine is just a, such a larger state so oh, there are more oh yeah. more people yeah. yeah and more people yeah. buying licenses more uh you know and oh and back to when we talked about fish and game being under understaffed as it turned out i guess new hampshire has a 47 game wardens 
Oh, yeah, we did um, in the so last episode, one of the questions was, you know, is fishing game spread, on, too thin. spread too thin? And we weren't sure how many wardens there actually were in New Hampshire and Maine. And we did have a listener uh, give us the numbers uh, off of the, the website. Yeah, and it was 125 from Maine and 47 for New Hampshire. Now, that sounds yeah. a little off balance. So you look at the map. Yeah. And, realize yeah, and you realize... Probably, even though there's 125 game ones in Maine, they're probably still spread thinner than New Hampshire. Yeah. You know, on a. <laughs> I actually think that it should be um, even more of a disparity. You know, there should be more in Maine. You know. Well, and you know, I bet the Maine game ones would agree with you. Yeah, uh, but but I know a lot of sportsmen from Maine who would disagree with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It was so, forty actually forty three game wardens in New Hampshire. Forty three and one hundred and twenty five in Maine. Forty three game wardens, but, and this is according to wow. the to the state websites. But um, that's not a lot. But uh, Mark Patterson um, was kind enough to look that up for us and left a comment on the video. So. Yeah. And that's Mark Patterson of the Wildwood Guide Service. He's a registered, uh, certified Maine guide yep. and does uh, canoe trips and so on and so yep. forth. So a little plug for Mark, Mark Patterson. Check out his uh, social media. Yeah. Rucksack, actually, Rucksack Wilds of Maine on Instagram. And he's starting up a YouTube channel and he's he's getting things rolling. But uh, he's he's definitely got some, some good things coming. Cool. We're going to put a link to his channel. Yes, we are. Appreciate it if you would subscribe to him. Okay, so we're going to do something that's a little bit different for us, uh, which is sort of pause a little bit for a commercial break, kind of. And uh, this is, why are we doing this particularly right now? Oh, because uh, since I started my YouTube channel, I have had many people, and I can't express uh, how grateful I am that uh, many, a lot of people have sent me very nice gifts um, from knives to, uh, uh, you know, pine nuts from North, uh, Colorado. Uh, uh, all kinds sunglasses uh just hats um just all kinds i, I one guy sent me a mini a mini drone really oh yeah yeah it's just wow. amazing the generosity and everyone many people have asked well we i'd love to contribute to your channel i'd love to mm -hmm. contribute and I'm, I'm like well you know just you know just thumbs up and this and everything yeah. so as you which learn, that's good too which is awesome oh comments oh good comments yeah. and uh thumbs up helps us with with youtube so yeah. But, um, you know, so basically, because you've learned that, you know, to, to make videos, it takes a lot of time and you invest a lot of money in equipment. So to try to justify that and if people want to, and I, I cannot stress enough, this is strictly optional. If you want to contribute, uh, we've started a Patreon account. Yep. Patreon.com slash working class woodsman. And this is, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's a way to support um youtube creators and and other people musicians etc uh and what we've done is we set up three different levels of support that you could sign up for um the first being uh lumber sexual for which we just thought was funny uh lumber sexual one dollar per month and what we'll do is uh you know you could you could ask for it to be there's a, a an option for anonymous but also mm -hmm. if you want what we'll do is we'll give you a shout out and here on the podcast and ask people you know to go check out your channel your instagram etc mm -hmm. all your stuff um, and that's one dollar per month and you can cancel whenever you want after a few months if you want and then the second one is the scout level and that's $2 per month. And what we'll do is we'll do the same thing. We'll shout out your channel and all that. We're also going to send you this Working Class Woodsman uh, channel sticker. Pretty cool. I have it on the back of my computer uh, and also on the back of my car. I actually. have it on my Yeti. And, yep. Actually, <laughs> I was wondering about that. Is that? That's custom. That's yeah. the, Yeti, the Yeti custom shop. Yeah, do you have that in the? Uh, it's the Yeti custom shop. And what you do is... Um... You just you can do it all online. You give them, uh, yeah. for instance, this is my badge, yeah. and I sent them a file, and they etched in it. It's indestructible; it'll never come off. Yeah, so that's that'll be the hundred dollar a month. Uh, level. <laughs> we're working on that. Yeah. 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 But anyway, uh, and then the next level is the woodsman for three dollars per month, and what we'll do is we'll give you a shout out. We'll send you the sticker, and we'll also send you this 
um, patch. Patch. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty cool. It's uh, custom stitched. And that's made by Calico. That was designed actually, well, myself and uh, um, John from Calico Graphics um, did that. All my, all my uh, advertising, or well, any of my t-shirts, patches, stickers, all comes from Calico Graphics. And you can find them at Calico Graphics on Instagram. Yeah. yeah so. And uh, and you can also, yeah, it also has uh, Working Class Woodsman apparel. Available. Oh, yeah, we have t-shirts, hoodies, yeah. um, working on hats, whatever. Yeah, actually, I want to, I would like a hat. They're coming. Yeah, that's we cool. just got to we got to we got to make up our mind up what we're going to do for design. But again, this is all strictly optional. Um, you can you can enjoy the same benefits. Yep, we're going to keep on doing it because we're having fun. So <laughs> we just wanted to uh, try to justify our time and money. And yep. if someone wants to contribute, hey, great. And if um, not, just we hope you continue watching the the, the yeah. videos. And obviously, at one dollar, two dollar, three dollar per month, we're not expecting to. Uh, to break in a lot. Well, we are shooting for a million subscribers. Yeah. So just just at a dollar <laughs> dollar per per subscriber. We're not so. trying to get rich. We just want to be millionaires. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just uh what is it that they say? I'm I'm a, I'm just an embarrassed millionaire out of luck for the time being. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um so uh that's patreon.com slash working class woodsman. Thank you very much for watching. We really appreciate it. We're having fun uh, doing this podcast. That's why we're doing an, a, a bonus episode. Yeah. And we're gonna get back into it now. Excellent. With the main sportsman dot com two thousand eighteen main sportsman opinion poll. And we are on question number forty. Should fish and wildlife game wardens participate in criminal investigations? that are unrelated to fish and game matters. No, we kind of touched on that the last time. Yeah, a little bit um, because of my, you know, my connection through my friend who's the minister for the wardens has told me about how the wardens are actually responsible for all law enforcement in the woods. Yeah. So, boy, I don't know. It seems like it takes up an awful lot of time. It does, yeah. I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to know the warden's opinion on that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, before I can answer that question, I mean, for yeah. me to say yes, I don't, I don't, I don't know how they, if if it's, is it bogging them down? I don't know how much of that, like, in criminal investigation they actually do. I'm sure there's a great percentage of it. Yeah, well, she told me about even one time where there was um, this just awful, awful murder that happened uh, in the woods where there was, like, a house pretty far out in the woods, in the north woods, and... Um, some guy murdered like his wife or something mm -hmm. and they were responsible for investigating that because it was so far out into the woods and it was in like an unincorporated township oh. that had no, oh, um, gotcha. Gotcha. you know, and I guess the state, they are a state agency, the warden. Yeah. So the, the state police didn't do it because they were, you know, it's that they're on equal footing, I guess, in terms of. Yeah. Um, well, and a lot of people don't realize um, how uh, there's a great, great, uh, uh, a huge amount of law enforcement involved in being a game warden. People don't realize that. Yeah. Well, I say they don't realize it. Um, it's it's uh, pretty intense. Some of the stuff that they're trained to yeah. do. And well, we could we could have her on the podcast too to talk be great. talk about that. That would That'd be, be great. Actually, fun. get an insider's. You know, get yeah, a, I would. Uh, if, if she'd be willing to do that, yeah. Well, if Kate, if you're listening, uh, let me know. <laughs> I'll ask. I'll ask her separately. Yeah. But so I guess uh, I I don't know enough about. I'd rather have. Uh, I'd rather. I wish I knew more about it. How much time yeah. they actually spent. And how I mean, it seems to me like if the game wardens aren't going to do that, then you're going to have to create a separate additional well, yeah, agency. And people forget how. That. Yeah, people. It's easy to to forget how big those woods are. They're really big. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't really have a good answer to that. 41. Should hunting with crossbows be allowed wherever hunters can use regular bows? That question is not really, that's worded a little um, weird, I guess, for the lack of a better word. Um, should it, should they be allowed in, in place of a bow and arrow. So in other words, should you be able to hunt with a crossbow during bow season in, you know, at that time, or can you use a crossbow during rifle? I don't really understand how they, what they're asking there. I don't think a, a crossbow shouldn't without the, you know, obviously people can get a, um, 
an exception to use a crossbow if they're disabled. Mm -hmm. But to use a crossbow in place of a bow and arrow, no, absolutely right. not, because it's it's two different two different. They're different weapons. Weapons, and, yeah. And a crossbow is more. You were saying it's almost more like a gun because you have a scope and you know. Oh, it's a yeah. It's a completely different. Uh, yeah. You know, I know guys that hunt traditional archery, and and they don't even they they refer to compound bows as block and tackle. Right. <laughs> so how do you think they feel about a, a crossbow with like a three to nine weatherproof scope, or in you know? And then we'll, let's talk infrared, or let's talk right. about you know. It, it's where does it stop? Right. You know, where does it stop? In all reality, um, but it depend. The way I'm understanding that question is, you know, could I think what they're trying to ask is, can you use a crossbow? Uh, in, in place of a, a traditional long bow or recurve bow or compound bow? If that's the question, then no. Uh, without a special exemption from a doctor saying you are unable, and I'm not sure how, I've never dealt with how that actually, how you get those permits to use those uh, crossbows in place of archery mm -hmm. equipment. Um, I don't actually know how many deer are harvested with crossbows. That'd be a good question. That would be a good thing to know. That'd be a good, a good thing to know. Okay, should... Should, 42, should Maine's law permitting children of any age to hunt under supervision be modified to establish a minimum hunting age? That's, yes. Uh, well, I get, I mean, you know, for an example, a six-month-old baby can draw a moose permit in the state of Maine. What? <laughs> that long pause was me trying to comprehend what you just said. And I, I, I was in a discussion with a with a main game warden up in uh, where was it? Where was it? Brewer? What's that town just uh, outside of uh, Bangor on the other side of the river? Not Brewer. Um, uh, doesn't matter. Old town? No, 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 no. Just on the other side of the river from Bangor. Um, uh, My wife grew up in Bangor, but yeah. I have no anyway, idea. In that area, it'll come to me. At the, the Pemi, uh, uh, not Pemi, Penobscot Sportsman's Place. Anyway, we're talking to a game warden, and he told me that um, in the state of Maine, there's no age, a six month old baby can draw a moose permit in the state of Maine. Well, that's just silly. Well, you know, you get your alternate, I guess. Um, in other words, if I'm, a, if I'm a hardworking guy, I mean, I can see both sides of that. In other words, if you know, like in the state of New Hampshire, when you draw a moose permit, you can pick an alternate. So your alternate can in, in dispatch the moose. Mm -hmm. You know, your your alternate hunter that didn't actually draw the permit can can hunt can shoot a moose. So in the state of Maine, um, if you're you know a, a hardworking guy, you need meat for the freezer, and you've got a six month old, and that six month old draws a permit that enables you to hunt the moose. So in a, if Effective. I guess you're feeding that six-year-old, right? I mean, the food that you're harvesting. Well, is... If you want to treat him, if you want to raise him right, yes, you yeah. are. <laughs> <laughs> you're feeding him wild game, so he'll grow up healthy and strong. But uh, Brewer is right across the river, by the way. It is Brewer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Brewer, me. That's Brewer. where I said. That's where I had the conversation. But anyway, um, I see both sides to that. I can see the benefits of uh, you know a guy that wants to go out and actually you know harvest a moose and fill his freezer. And if he has a a, a one year old or a two year old, uh, uh, you know, that draws the permit and then enables him to harvest the moose, I mean, I don't really, I don't see the difference. In other words, you could like you and I, we, uh, you know, I I get the permit and you're my alternate. What's the difference, really? In as far as the numbers go, it's still one moose. Am I saying that right? Yeah. So, but I'm trying. I'm thinking of relating this back to our scenario where the husband and wife. That's different. Each, each get that's different. a tag. That's different because of the way the because the way the law right rates is when you shoot a deer, that you need to use your tag on the deer that you that you kill that you harvest, and you can't have an alternate. No, no. That's that's again apples to oranges. And the, because it's. Why? Because it's a deer and a, and a moose, and it's just not. Well, it's just the, the way same. the resource is managed. Yeah. You know, deer hunting. There's a heck. There's a. There's there are a lot more. Oh deer. yeah, yeah. And yeah. again, get back to why are we? You yeah. know, why are we hunting these? These? Why do they give us a certain number in the first place? Because that's what the carrying capacity could, and that's what people need to know. I mean, if they want you to shoot five thousand, this these are just numbers. Right. But say they want to harvest five thousand whitetails, you know, and they're, you know, but they know there's a certain amount of hunters that will apply for those. Um, you know, get a license and hopefully get a deer. But 
every hunter can only get one deer mm-hmm. based on the way that system's set up and that system works. So when it comes to moose, the way that system's set up is if you can have an alternate, it's still one moose. So you, you follow me? So in other words, let's say they change the let's say they change the deer hunting law so uh, you could have an alternate deer hunter, but if you're alternate, if your wife shot the deer, then you're up. Then you know, then effectively you'd be doing the same thing. You're still only harvesting one deer, right? Just, right. Maybe that makes maybe that puts that makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. But you can't do an alternate for deer. It's no, yeah. no. It's just because it's not. The part of that is because it's easier to shoot a deer. It's not easier to shoot a deer. No. It's it's no, not at all. There are more deer though. There are more deer, and that's yeah. the way that's the way that system's been in place for all these years, and that works. And there are a lot more deer hunters. And don't forget, the moose are a little more fragile. Uh, and there, there's a moose lottery, right? Oh okay, yeah, there's yeah, a moose so lottery, there's a, just like New Hampshire has a lottery, and that's another s- subject. But because yeah. the moose population in New Hampshire is suffering because of winter tick, because of, there's a brain. The last moose I saw in my backyard looked awful emaciated yeah yeah so um but that's the way those systems are um set up and established and they work so i, I it, it sounds foolish that a six-month-old could draw a moose permit but i guess realistically you're still only harvesting one moose for two people so i don't know uh i'm on the fence with that one mm-hmm. don't uh, give a six-month-old a rifle yeah well <laughs> yeah i mean i think that it was more of the question of of should should children and let's just say like eight an eight year old oh because that cause the question isn't directed towards moose hunting either that's the yeah, the, yeah the question was should maine's law which permits children of any age to hunt under supervision yeah should that law be modified to establish a minimum hunting age oh. so you know should a you know obviously responsible father take his eight-year-old out to shoot a deer depends on the father depends on the eight-year-old yeah you know i mean i was hunting when i was i was carrying a shotgun when i was 10 years old yeah with my grandmother yeah and uh you know uh i guess it, it that's a hard that's a tough question because you know times have changed yeah. adults have changed Right. You know, their their uh, ability to give proper supervision has, has changed, right. and kids have changed. Well, and that, that gets back to talking about don't feed the the wildlife. It's the same thing. If, yeah. if you know, adults today who didn't grow up hunting yeah. will have a harder time passing on. You know, and, and that's a good example. Hunting knowledge to their children, you know, they'll have to learn it themselves first. Yeah, you know, and that's, that's funny you say that because a lot of guys I know, I'm – have never grew up in a non-hunting family yeah. they had a really hard time getting into hunting right or hunting and fishing even fishing uh, yeah. ice fishing because no one taught them right um but they managed to do it and become right. very successful yeah. uh one of my best friends grew up in a non-hunting family he's he shot he's he's harvested many a whitetail um, yeah he's a good a really good bass fisherman um, but this, I guess that, but that's a good example of, you know, it's impossible to pass a law that will stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. In other words, a law that would, that would work 30 years ago when I was a 10 year old, right. You probably couldn't apply now right. Right. based on how technology's developed, the, you know, the way that, that human nature's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of 12 year olds that I would have no problem handing a shotgun and a duck blind. Mm-hmm. And I know some 19 year olds I wouldn't want ever. Right. You know, I mean, so a lot. It does come down to individuals. It does. It does. And I think the laws do not deal with individuals. They don't. And, you know, no law is going to stand the test of time. Hi, everybody. I have some breaking news here. We actually recorded this a couple days ago in advance of when we were planning on publishing it might notice if you're watching on YouTube that I am wearing a different shirt. So it is a different day. And because we taped this in advance, we were able to do a little bit of fact-checking uh, on the moose permitting, moose lottery process, um, which is, you know, one good reason to do things in advance. But we did want to get you the accurate information. So I'm adding this this little bit. And it, it turns out that what Ed was saying about how, a, for example, a six-month-old could get a permit and let's be honest, it would obviously be, you know, any child is not really applying on their own. Uh, so, of course, the parents are doing that. But in any case, that has changed very pre- pretty recently. Uh, 
Um, so here's from the Maine State website on you know the, the moose lottery uh, and from the frequently asked questions section what is the age limit for applying for a permit to shoot a moose and the answer is effective January 1st 2016 there is no minimum age to apply for a moose permit however persons under 10 years of age on the opening day of the open moose season are eligible to apply for a bonus point only to build bonus points but cannot win a permit. So that is a little confusing but what it means is that you can put your name in for the lottery if you're younger than 10 and again it's the parents doing it but, but somebody you know a child cannot win the lottery to get a permit to shoot a moose but they do get points and the point system is that when you put your name into the moose lottery, if you don't get it, if you don't win, the next time you put in your name, you have a bonus point. So your odds are increased. So I don't know what kind of algorithm they use, but the longer you've been trying to get a, mo a moose permit, the more likely it is that you'll get one. And, you know, I guess, I guess that seems fair. Uh, there's, probably an argument whichever way you want you know that it should maybe it should be an equal footing every time or maybe you know um, you should get a, a leg up if you've tried five five years in a row and haven't gotten it um, so that's neither here nor there but the point is that a parent could start putting in their child's name for 10 years and then on that 11th year that child's going to have a much more uh, much a greater chance of winning that lottery because they'll have 10 bonus points so that's the way it works and if you're interested in um, getting more information the uh, the phone number for uh, finding out about this is 207-287-8000 207-287-8000 so we just wanted to get the accurate information out there Let's get back to the podcast that we uh, recorded a couple days ago. Thank you so much for listening and for watching. And here we go. Uh, speaking of laws, question, the next question. Do you believe that Fish and Wildlife Wardens generally do a fair job of enforcing Maine laws? Or you could also answer for New Hampshire. Uh. Yes, uh, I, I think they do. They do the best they, I guess. Well, and again, you know, especially there's a good, and that's another good, good example of how times have changed. When I was a kid, a game, a lot of game, one game, a retired game warden I know personally would, uh, had a trap line. He used to go out and trap. He hunted, um, mm -hmm. a very phenomenal fly fisherman to this day. Yeah. Now that's the way it was. You know, I think a main. <laughs> I think if a main game warden doesn't know how to fly fish, they're sh they're looked down. It's like if, right. if they're less of a man because of it. Well, that would be. Woman. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry when I when I say man, uh, but but you know whether you're a man or a woman, there are certain things you need to be able to do. I um, think if you're a warden, you should know how to do all the stuff. <laughs> well, that yes, I agree with you. However, a lot of game wardens now are more into the um, the criminal law and you know the the law and order side of it than they are the conservation side of it right and don't forget a lot of the a lot of it's about the retirement a lot of it's about you know uh mm -hmm. you know and and so and i'm not i'm not pointing at any in any direction but um game wardens have changed over the years sure whereas you know, like the old you know uh, back in you know to be a main guide in the old days you just had to pass muster with the local game warden. <laughs> Right. Now, I think in some cases, if you know how to make really good hard cider, you'd get your main guide certification. Right. <laughs> I'm just, I, I would make that assumption um, based on some of the, some of the, some of my experience. But, but uh, you know, and times have changed. Um, you know, now being a main guide is you know quite involved um, to get your certification. Same as New Hampshire. New Hampshire to be a New Hampshire guide. Uh, hunting and fishing guide it's a lot harder than people realize they've come a long way in their um, certification 
But so, it is still harder for Maine, right? Boy, they like to say that, but I don't know. Uh, well, I, I mean, I passed. Is it more? It's more prestigious, or? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. That big red patch. Yeah. Uh, you know. Oh, this. Oh yes. There's a lot of prestige in that red patch. I have one. Right. Uh, I'm. You know. I'm. I passed my certification. I'm a registered Maine guide. Not actively guiding today, but I. I did pass the certification. Um. And that's that's there's been there's some changes. You know, that's getting harder and harder to uh, achieve. But as is New Hampshire, New Hampshire's come a long way, you know, to 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 be uh, a reg, you know a registered New Hampshire guide now. There's a lot more to it than it was ten years ago, and and it, and rightfully so. However, back to the question, uh, in saying that, you know, um, do they do a fair job? Yes, but um, now there's a lot of differences in a lot of conservation offices, and I'm going to talk about New Hampshire now. Okay, but like some are for baiting, some are against baiting, some are for trapping, some are against trapping. Some, uh, you know, so it, it comes down to, you know, a lot of their personal opinions or, or what, you know, uh, they may not even fly fish. And not not that every game wouldn't has to fly fish, but there's a certain character. Like I say, in the state of Maine, I don't think there's a, a, a Maine game warden that doesn't fly fish. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I guess the question was what they do. They do a fair job. Yeah. I guess I, they probably do to the best of their ability. Yeah. Do you believe, uh, next question, should mechanized gold mining in main rivers and streams be ended? Say that again? Mechanized gold mining in main rivers and streams. Are we talking recreational or commercial? That sounds like commercial to me, if it's mechanized. Oh, boy. Um, I didn't see that coming. Uh I don't know. I don't know how much of that's actually going on. Yeah. And it kind of bothers me. And whenever you say mechanized and stream. Yeah. Or mechanized and river. Yeah. Well, it seems like yeah. If you have like a, if you have an that. engine running, there's potential. I don't. Yeah. Um, know, for contamination. I mean, if a recreational gold panning, which is. I think that's totally different. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know, I know. I've never done that. I use. Well, actually, that's not true. Um, when, when my kids were young, we did go out and do some gold panning. Mm-hmm. with some uh some old pipe pipe pans and had a lot of fun but you know we were out there sifting and but i don't i don't think that does any is very detrimental to the rivers but if you start talking mechanized i mean to what extent when you say when you when you pass the law saying yeah you can use mechanized equipment to to mine for gold i mean what is, does that mean you can show up with an excavator and just re i mean where does it stop yeah well, and there are consequences downriver you know because some no pun intended know, yeah yeah, <laughs> literally downriver. Uh, I don't, so I don't know enough about what, it, I would say no. Next question. Did you hunt or fish outside the state of Maine this past year? Obviously, yes. I did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 46. Do you support the proposal to expand the instant background check of purchasers of firearms to include sales between private parties? No. Why is that? Because in the state of New Hampshire and the state of Maine, you can still. Um, boy, this is a real. This is a. This is this what is Pandora's box. This is what, by the way, what people call yeah. the gun show loophole. Yeah, and it's kind of baloney. Um, again, we're not a political podcast. This is directly related to you know hunting firearms. But, the, but what what they call the gun show loophole is if you go to. And I, I don't know if you've ever been to a gun show, but uh, I, if you if you go to a gun show and buy a gun from a registered uh, FFL, yeah, yeah, federal firearms licensed yeah. salesperson at a gun show, you have that's the same as going to a gun store. You have to yep. pass a background check. Yep. However, if you go to the gun show. And somebody says, well, by the way, I have a, you know, whatever, such and such muzzle loader in the back of my truck. Do you want to buy it? You can buy it from them without doing a background check. Or a Bushmaster or an AK or whatever. Whatever it is. But it's not that you're at the, it's not, they call it the gun show loophole because you might be in the parking lot at the gun show. But it's no different from buying a gun from a private, it's a private exchange. So it's, right. it's no different. 
you just might happen to be at the gun show in the parking lot or wherever you could be at your house or somebody else's house or whatever private sale you can still you know legally um in new hampshire and maine you can uh you know it's again it's against it's a violation to sell from a for a new hampshire resident to sell to a maine license a maine resident right vice versa without doing a uh background check right which you can do uh, easily through a, an ffl of your choice right like go to coyote creek or um, and you've sold you've post. sold guns on at the gun uh, post hundreds yeah yeah, yeah. so ship them across the country oh I've, uh, yeah. from alaska to i don't ship to california <laughs> or connecticut or new york yeah. uh, or massachusetts new jersey or new jersey yeah. uh, any other bad states i mean any other states we don't <laughs> ship to but uh anyway Never had a problem, but uh, but but what what that what you do is you go to an FFL and you uh, transfer yeah. from one one FFL to another FFL. So, right. in other words, the person that's bought that gun on say Gunbroker has to pass a background check, right? And which is totally, I, I have no problem with that. Absolutely right. no problem with that. Um, now the the way. In a few years ago, well, quite a few years ago, you used to be able to Maine and New Hampshire used to be able to sell face to what they call that's called a face to face right in other words i sell you a gun face to face and i you know if you if the state was touching you could do it without a background check mm-hmm. they changed that mm-hmm. i don't i don't have a problem with that you know yeah. uh now let's just say i i know what they're trying to do here they're, they're trying to they're trying to um clamp down on the transfer of firearms and you know they they uh, um i i'm not necessarily opposed in other words I'm not a, I'm not in favor of selling, you know, a firearm to a total stranger without doing a background check. Right. Never have been. Right. Uh, I got no problem selling you right. a firearm because I know you. But right now, even with the law the way it is, I mean, you, you're saying in within New Hampshire, you can do a private sale with, Absolutely. without. Absolutely. But you could also, Go if you're going to sell to some stranger in Rochester, you could say, yeah, Go I'll on. sell it to you. If we go to an FFL and you pass the background check, and, and take it from me, if you're doing that and you don't know the individual, um, you should do that. And yeah, for twenty five, thirty bucks. Yeah. Just, I mean, just do the background. You check. don't want to sell a gun to a person who's going to no, go misuse absolutely it. Absolutely not. No, because no, absolutely not. you know. No. By the way, whatever they do with that gun, it's not your fault. And I, but it would still be on your conscience. Don't you think? I, well, I think the onus. If I have a firearm, the yeah. onus is the onus as a as a as a firearms owner is on me to make sure that gun is yeah. is first of all when I own it, I got to take care of it. I got to keep it yeah. secure. I got to keep it locked up. Whatever the case may be. So, if I'm doing all that, I'm going to hand it over to a perfect stranger. No, I'm not yeah. cool with that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go through a trans. I'm gonna do a transfer, and and that person has to do a background check. Um, now. You get here's here we go. Okay, so so say they say they pass a law saying um, you know you can no longer do a what they call a face to face in the state of New Hampshire. What they're saying is I can no longer pass my guns down to my kids. Right, right. So wait a second, where does it? Oh, whoa, whoa. You know, and that's what that's how the that's where they bite you with these with these laws. So I'm going to say no. You know, I, I I'm not in favor of having to. Um, do a background check on a personal sale because I know what's going to be attached to that. Right, right. And I know so the caveat that, you, like we just said, you can still go and and do make a, a buyer do a background check before you sell them. Yeah, and I think yeah. as a responsible gun owner, if you're going to sell a gun, uh, you know, go to your favorite FFL, go to your favorite gun store, um, and you know, pay the transfer fee. Last question: Have you or anyone you know? seen a cougar in maine i've never seen a cougar in maine have you seen ever seen a cougar period no i have not either a friend of ours just had a bobcat on her uh yeah game camera yeah there's uh we have a lot of bobcats in the state yeah um they're definitely on the rise but no i have not seen a cougar in maine or new hampshire i'll just leave it at that that was the conclusion of the 2018 Maine Sportsman's Opinion Poll, mainsportsman.com. And that is uh, also the end of our podcast. This has been an extra bonus edition. Please don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash woodsman. 
and also to the Woodsman's Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or Podbean. Tell your friends, leave a positive review, especially on iTunes. That really helps us. And we thank you very much for listening. And we will see you on the next podcast, which we're going to do in maybe the next week or the week after. And we're going to be talking about August. Yeah, the month of August. Yeah. So what are some of the things that uh, you do uh, in August? Well, lake trout fishing. Lake that's trout. A, that's, that's a big thing for, for um, around here. Uh, hopefully the thermocline will be set up a little better. It's still kind of sketchy, but I mean, you know, we're, we are catching them. We're catching them. Yeah, I mean, you can catch them all the time, but August is a, is a really good month for that. So we're going to talk about trout in a couple of weeks. Yep. And for the Woodsman's Podcast, my name is Max Ledoux, and the Woodsman is Ed Butler. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. <laughs>